For those of you who may be new to our class, we just finished a series on faithful angels, what we typically refer to as holy angels. And for the last many weeks, we've been now talking about the fallen angels. You've got faithful and fallen angels. We are now kind of heading into the end of this leg of the series, and we're looking at how the occult uh, is a real thing and how it works among those who are either oppressed or demonized or demonically possessed. We've talked about all of those things previously, so if you want to catch up, all of these lessons are on our church website. You can always back up and listen to all of those, so make sure that you you take advantage of that. Today we want to try to pick up where we were last week. I am certainly no authority on the occult, so uh, uh, Paul is, but, but I'm not. <laughs> but I, I, uh, I'm just gleaning from sources that, that I feel pretty confident about. And of course, the source that I feel most confident about is God's Word. Last week, we took a look at a very descriptive experience of a man named Saul, who happened to be the king of Israel, who went to a, um, a witch to ask her to, to bring back Samuel. She didn't expect the real Samuel to show up. She expected for her familiar spirit, which is just a nice way of saying demon partner, a familiar spirit is a demon that will masquerade as people who have died to make the witch uh, look legitimate, to give the witch the credentials that he or she needs to continue to deceive. Unfortunately for Saul, God was so offended by what he did that Saul dies because of this sin. But God also does something that you find very seldom in Scripture, and that is God brings back someone who has died. And the real Saul shows up. The witch shrieks in terror because she didn't expect this. It had never happened to her before. But in that story, you find all of the components of what we need to understand about the occult. Now, last week we got to this place where we said that the the study of the occult can easily be divided into three categories. And the first one that we began talking about is divination. It comes from the Latin word divinare, which means to foresee or to foretell the future. Now, sometimes those who practice occult uh, 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 arts or dark arts will have multiple abilities. So they'll not just be a diviner, uh, they'll also be a necromancer, and we'll get to all of that. So, so it, it, one does not preclude the other. So divination is to, to forth tell. So if you've ever heard of a fortune teller, that's, that's, that's a diviner. Uh, we have the artificial divination, which is someone interpreting signs and omens, but they're not directly communing with demons. They are indirectly because Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. So if you're messing around with the dark arts, even if you don't intend to be messing around with demons, you are. This is why I always tell people, don't play around with things like seances. Uh, don't, don't mess around with the Ouija board, even though uh, Milton Bradley produced it years ago as a toy. It is no toy it is an ancient tool used in witchcraft. Don't mess around with that kind of stuff. 
Don't fiddle around just for fun to get your palm read or to have a fortune teller uh, tell you your fortune. I, I don't even read uh, astrology charts. Uh, I don't want to hear my horoscope. Uh, it's, it's just all nonsense. Now, I'm not suggesting that just because you might do that, you're going to become immediately demonized or demonically possessed. I'm not saying that. But I am saying we just, we just don't want to mess with it. Then inspirational divination is where the person is intentionally using demonic power to do what they do. And divination can include all of these things, astrology, palmistry, which of course palm reading, card reading, the tarot cards, Ouija boards, crystal balls, dreams and visions. Now, it was with the dreams and visions that we wanted to, uh, to focus here. And, and I gave you Jeremiah 10 too, where God says, Don't learn the way of the Gentiles. Don't be dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the Gentiles are dismayed at them. Signs of heaven, by the way, is the astrological signs. It's what he's talking about. So when you get into astrology, it's just a downward slide into demonism. And more and more that you get into that, the more and more you trust and believe in those things that you read. It's just all nonsense. Stay away from it because they're not right anyway. All of these uh, predictions that are made every year around January the 1st by people like Gene Dixon and others, they're always wrong. I don't say how in the world these people stay in business because they're always wrong. But don't even mess with it. And then for those who would say, well, you know, Dan, this is just all Old Testament mumbo-jumbo. Well, in the book of Acts, during the early church period, uh, you have uh, God turning people over to worship the host of heaven. Well, the host of heaven is the astrological uh, signs of the zodiac. That's, that's the whole idea. Worshiping anyone other than God, ultimately, is the point. And the demons will use whatever technique they can to get us diverted and to get our attention pulled away. It, it's just amazing what a battle it is to stay focused. Isn't it? I mean, if you want to be serious about God, it's a continual battle just to stay focused. I mean, even when you're serious, you still get distracted. For instance, worship, I was just visiting with someone a while ago, worship can become an idol in and of itself. You can be so hung up on your style of worship or your song selections or whatever that that becomes uh, distracting and somewhat of an idol. Nothing wrong with personal preferences and taste. That's all okay. But when we get to the place where worship becomes something we either do because we have to or it's a performance, we've now uh, kind of blurred our way over into idolatry. It's just so difficult to stay focused. In the early service, if you were in the early service, as I was trying to deliver what I believe to be a critical message, the wire on this microphone broke. Now, if you know anything about these things, the inside of that wire that connects this microphone to the transmitter is just about the size of a human hair. And so eventually they're going to break. But what are the odds that they will break right in the middle of a critical message? Well, I think the odds are pretty uh, slim, unless you're treading into areas where the powers of darkness don't like it. Now, I'm not claiming that a demon broke my wire. Well, Paul may have. So, but, but anyway, but what I am telling you is that we're fighting a real battle here. And even as Christians, it's very easy to get distracted in our own devotion to the Lord and to do things out of habit, out of ritual, 
And then, at the very least, it's meaningless. At the very worst, it's idolatrous. There are a lot of people, a lot of Baptists, who I believe practice idolatry over their Baptistism. I've known them. So, anyway, any way they can get us distracted. So here... Uh, the, the book of Acts talks about these who, who worship the signs in the heavens. So, of course, Scripture forbids seeking to know the future through dreams and visions, especially employing the occult. Now, why we began to focus here is because this has become very in vogue within the church. There have been scads of books written, lots of sermons and lessons taught, on how God speaks through dreams and visions. And I I constantly hear people talking about, well, I had a dream and I believe God was saying this to me and God gave me a vision. I am not suggesting that God cannot speak through dreams. Nor am I suggesting that God cannot give a vision. I am suggesting that the few times you find that in Scripture are in moments of tremendous... Um, importance when God was doing something very, very significant. For instance, Peter has a vision. You remember he sees that sheet lowered down from heaven and the message is, get your heart prepared to go share the gospel with a Gentile, that's a non-Jew, and understand that they are just as uh, uh, welcome in the body of Christ as you Jews are. Well, that's a pretty pivotal moment in the history of the church. But as far as I know, Peter had very few other visions. Paul had a few visions that he writes about, but very few. Now, we're talking about men who are pivotal in planting the New Testament church and writing the New Testament. Those are pivotal moments. I do not believe that God is giving as many visions and dreams as people claim today. Yes, I dream just like you do. And I do believe that sometimes some lesson can come out of a dream. And I do believe that God could possibly speak to us through a dream. God might give us a vision, although I'm not sure that I've ever had a vision. Now the reason why is because God has already spoken. The reason why God spoke primarily to the, to the prophets of the Old Testament, directly to their mind, to their conscience, and then later on in the early days of the church, is because what we call the canon of Scripture had not been completed yet. But now we have the completed canon of Scripture. We have from Genesis to Revelation. Everything we need to know, we know, or at least can know. Maybe there's not everything we want to know, but everything we need to know is here. Why would God need to give me a dream or a vision about something that he's already told me about here, and I simply don't know it because I won't crack this open enough and devote myself to it to hear him? And so God has to cut around the corner and give me a dream or a vision. I don't believe this, but here's what I do believe. I believe that demons are using the so-called visions and dreams of people to greatly mislead and deceive otherwise sincere Christians who are open to all kinds of silliness 
that we've seen through the years, especially in the Word of Faith movement. They've had everything from the anointing of laughter. And I don't know if you've ever watched any footage of those services, but these people are laughing hysterically from start to finish. I watched some video of Rodney Howard Brown preaching on hell of all things. And while he's preaching on hell, the crowd is laughing hysterically. They're falling out of their chairs. They're laughing so hard. They're rolling in the floor because they're laughing so hard while he's preaching on hell. Now, if there's ever a time not to giggle, it's when you're preaching about hell. It's silly. I've watched and heard as people claim that God has given them the anointing of gold and that gold dust would appear in their hair and they could shake it out onto a piece of paper and and God was uh, causing gold teeth to appear in people's mouths. Well, first of all, if I've got a bad tooth right here, I don't want a gold one. Gee whiz, God, couldn't you make it white? At least white gold? The anointing of gold and people having gold show up. I've, se- I've, I've heard or seen it all. How is it that people are sucked into this kind of silliness? Well, it's because they, come, they, 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 be, they become open to things that are not necessarily congruent with what's here. It's real, I believe, But I believe it's demonic. So whenever we talk about dreams and visions, we need to be very, very careful. Yes, God spoke to the prophets of old. But listen to what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 29. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. Now, Jeremiah is talking here about priests. He's talking about our common vernacular preachers. And he's saying, don't listen to them. They're deceiving you by using dreams that you made. Meaning out of your own mind, your own subconscious. By visions that did not come from me. All to mislead the people of God. Now why would they want to do that? Well because the demons want the people of God to believe that all is well. No need to be agitated. No need to be urgent about this. I mean if you're going to be serious about God, okay. But don't get carried away. Don't become a fanatic. And in not becoming a fanatic, people actually become more fanatical than they have possibly ever been if they were truly committed to the Lord and just became so fervent and passionate. So the demons want to deceive, and that's exactly what they do. Zechariah 10, verse 2. The diviners envision lies and tell false dreams. They comfort in vain. Now, all of these prophets are speaking about a time in Israel when the Israelites had turned their backs on God, but they had a pseudo-religion. It's what the New Testament warns us about when Paul says that in the latter times, folks will depart from the faith, and they'll have a form of godliness, 
but they won't have any power. The power of God is not there. But it looks good. This is exactly what was going on in Zechariah's time, which brings to mind the statement of Solomon, there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new, guys. What we're seeing today is nothing new. Maybe it has a different wrapper on it. Maybe it has just a little bit different flavor. But when you get to the core of what we're seeing happen in our world today, nothing new about it. The Israelites were just as corrupt. And what happened to them? Judgment. What's going to happen to us? Judgment. They didn't escape it, nor will we. In just a few weeks, I'm going to preach a message entitled, God will not spare them. God will not spare them. It's another very sobering message. It's actually terrifying to study and put together. We think that somehow, because some tell us everything's okay, that we're going to be okay. Not so. So... Ezekiel chapter 21, verses 21 and 22. For the king of Babylon stands at the parting of the road, at the fork of the two roads, to use divination. He shakes the arrows. He consults the images. He looks at the liver. In his right hand is the divination for Jerusalem. Just speaking, of course, the the pagans. Acts chapter 16 to show you that this is not just an Old Testament issue or problem, that Christians need to know about this today. In Acts chapter 16, verses 16, 17, and 18, Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us. Notice, she has a spirit of divination. A spirit means a demon. So she has a demon of divination. It's not that she has divination in her spirit. That's not what that is saying. She has a spirit, a demon of divination, who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. Now, how in the world could they predict things or how could they tell about things they don't know about? The demon tells them. Now, the demons don't know the future, but they've studied mankind for millennia and they kind of know what we do and they can kind of predict certain things with, with some air of accuracy. Because there's nothing new under the sun. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. Now you would think Luke would say, and we were happy for it. But they were not because she was a distraction. Now you say, well now wait just a minute. What she's saying is right. Yes, she's saying it. And what she's saying is true, but a demon is causing her to do it to bring attention to himself and is a distraction to what God is actually trying to do. Now, what should that tell us? Here's what that should tell us. Just because something may sound biblical, just because something may seem godly, doesn't mean that it is. Now, what does Paul do in response? Paul, greatly annoyed. Now, why in the world would he be annoyed that this girl is saying, these men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation? Well, apparently she would just stand around saying that all the time. See, it's hard to read what's going on here, but it appears that she was being very distractive in doing this. She was, these are the men! And so as Paul was trying to teach or whatever, apparently she just kept saying that over and over, and he became very frustrated at this. 
So it was something that was drawing people's attention away and interrupting what God was actually trying to do. You can just imagine if while Paul or I are preaching or teaching, someone would stand up and say, listen to him, he's preaching the truth. Okay, if they do that once, that's okay. But what if about every two minutes that same person popped back up and said, listen to him, he's teaching and preaching the truth. And sit down in about two minutes, listen to him. I mean, finally, can you imagine how aggravating that would become? So this demon was motivating her to do this. So you can just imagine why Paul was frustrated. So he turned and said to the spirit, notice he doesn't address her. He knows this is a demon. Now see, we would, if we're not careful, we'd say, oh, well, that was just a well-meaning person that was trying to speak the truth. No, this was demonic. This is why, though I'm very careful that I don't always attach a demon to everything that goes wrong because we live on a broken, fallen planet. Stuff breaks, stuff wears out. But I find it odd how things often break when you're right in the middle of trying to do what you really believe God's trying to accomplish. I've told you stories about us trying to do black robe and just a while ago with the microphone. So the demons are going to try to do their very best to interrupt. So he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. So what this should tell us is that just because something may seem spiritual doesn't mean it is. So let's, let's jump out of the first century and, and fast forward to the 21st century. A lot of the stuff that happens in churches is not spiritual at all. It just appears to be. Now some of it can be over the top and stupid like the anointing of gold and all that kind of stuff. Or people like Benny Hinn demanding that the sick people come to him and then he'll heal them. Why not go to the hospital where they are? Well, because, see, that would reveal him to be the fraud that he is. Hank Handegraaff, the Bible answer guy, when he was still kind of straight and narrow. By the way, Hank hasn't necessarily fallen for the faith, but he became Greek Orthodox, and I've got some issues with that, but that's a whole different discussion. But Hank one time was so hard on, on uh, Benny Hinn that Benny and he had a lunch at Benny's request. He said, Hank, you're, you're, just, you're always bashing me on the radio. Is there any way that you can stop that? And, he said, and Hank said, I'll tell you what I'll do, Benny. If you can prove to me that you've healed someone, I'll go on national radio and apologize and say, Benny Hinn could actually heal He said, so you bring me evidence that you've healed somebody, and I'll do that. So in a designated time, they met again, and Benny Hinn gave him two x-rays. They were of the same person. One x-ray had this obvious malignancy in the lung. The other x-ray, clean as a whistle. Well, Hank said, not being an educated uh, uh, physician, not knowing how to read x-rays perfectly, I said, well, Benny, it looks like. I'm going to have to get on the radio and apologize. But before I do, I'm going to have someone to actually look at these x-rays. Who knows? So Handegraaff took him to a a physician, and he looked at him, and he started to chuckle. Hank said, what's so funny? And the guy said, well, there's no question that the tumor is gone, and this is the same person, but the tumor was surgically removed. 
Now, did Benny Hinn know that the tumor had been surgically removed? I don't know. I would suspect that if he didn't, he certainly should have. My point is, if he went to the hospitals and just started going from floor to floor, healing everybody that wanted to be healed, that'd be most of them. Even the unbelievers would like to be healed. It'd reveal him to be the fraud that he is. So he demands that they come to him. But it's not just that. It's also Baptist churches that are so steeped in tradition and so dead and so uncommitted that they are now beginning to censor the message and there are certain things they won't preach. And then there are other things that they ought to be preaching against. They actually hedge a little and almost seem to be in favor of. Like for instance... J.D. Greer, who's the president of the Southern Baptist Convention up until next month when they have a new election and he's already termed out, has made multiple statements on all kinds of subjects where the Bible is abundantly clear and he should have been bold and he kind of hedged on things like homosexuality and hedges when the Bible is abundantly clear. Guys, that's just as damaging as the other stupid stuff on the other side of the spectrum. In fact, I'm not so sure that that's not more damaging. At least most people that are logical can look at this anointing of gold and all that kind of stuff and know that's huckstery. But these churches that won't preach the truth and won't talk about what's going on in our culture today and use a biblical lens to to shine light on it, that's doing lots of damage. Okay, of course, God commanded the death penalty for this sin in the Old Testament. Here's a couple of passages of Scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 17, Isaiah chapter 47, where God told the Israelites, if somebody does this in your midst, execute them. Now, by the way, just so you will know, God executed Saul. Remember we read that passage last week? When the Bible says that God killed Saul. You'll also find in the New Testament a sin that's called the sin unto death. And even though there's a lot of disagreement among equally qualified theologians, I tend to believe that what the sin unto death is, is a position that a Christian can get in where they've gone too far and they're going to die prematurely. John says you don't even need to pray for a person like that because they're going to die. Paul told the Corinthian church that they needed to throw that guy out that had apparently committed incest with his stepmother that they hadn't dealt with. He said, turn him over to the devil for the destruction of his flesh because if he is truly a Christian, his soul will be saved. That's the death penalty. Then when you go to Romans 13 and you read about the definition of proper government, Paul says that the governmental authority does not bear the sword in vain. What's that talking about? Death penalty. So the whole concept of the death penalty is taught in Scripture. And God said here that those who dabbled in the occult should receive the death penalty. Then, of course, God also gave another warning. And he said, just remember this about these dreams and visions and these diviners. If they're from me, of course, they won't be diviners. They won't have familiar spirits and all that kind of stuff. But if they're speaking for me, they'll be right all the time. 
So God says that the requirement for being a prophet of God... Now, this would be someone who speaks things about the future. He says they have to be 100% correct. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 20 through 22. So whenever a person says, God told me this is going to happen, and it doesn't happen, they are in sin. Now, it doesn't mean that they're demonically possessed doesn't mean that they're demonized necessarily, but it does mean that they're sinning because they're claiming something that God did not say. Now, let me bring this right into my own life. Over the years, having the opportunity to speak in different places, I've often spoken in places that are very different doctrinally. And it's a, it's a real challenge for me because I, I feel that doctrine is very important and so it's, it's always a challenge to know where do you draw the line. Now, I know where to draw the line doctrinally. But when it comes to things like patriotism and the Black Robe Regiment, where do I not go? Well, obviously, I'm not going to present it to the Church of Satan of America. I'll, I'll, I'll draw the line there. I'll say, uh-uh, there. But where do I draw the line? So, so I've always been in some circles where doctrinally I don't line up. And while I was running for governor, I was speaking in some of these churches. Well-meaning people, I think probably most of them were saved. They're just deceived into a lot of stuff. But they'd gather around me and pray for me. Well, obviously, I want people to pray for me. I understand the power of prayer. So they would gather around me and they'd pray. And I can't tell you how many times, it was, it was a good number, that I would have people speak a prophecy over me that I was going to be elected the next governor and yada, 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 and this is going to happen and that's going to happen. Well, I never just bowed up and said, well, you don't know what you're talking about. I didn't do that kind of thing. But I just kind of like Mary did when the wise men came to see her. She, she treasured those things in her heart. She kind of tucked them away. I just tucked those things away. And I had one person pretty close to me who's a good friend that prophesied that I was going to be elected governor. I said, well, now listen, if I'd not... I'm going to remind you of this, and I'm going to tell you that you've sinned. And I was an elected governor. Now, what were these people doing? Well, I think they got carried away with their own hopes and aspirations. They really wanted a guy like me to be elected governor. They wanted someone like me to be in the position of governor to at least try to do the things that I said I was going to try to do as governor of this state. They wanted that. They could sense in me the Spirit of God, they know I'm a true believer. They wanted that. So they just got kind of get carried away, and before you know it, they're hearing from God, and they're given a prophecy. Well, guess what? I didn't get elected, and those people were wrong. And at the very least, they're sinning and should apologize to God for speaking on His behalf when He had not spoken. This is what the Bible says. Now, of course, in the Old Testament, God was very, very strict, and He told them to stone these prophets. I would not necessarily advocate that we go look up all those people and stone them to death, but I would say that those folks need to do a self-inventory and they need to ask some serious questions. And by the way, my friend who did that in private, he did it, well, I don't know, he did it in public as, as well, but he came to me after I, I did not win the primary and he said, man, I struggled with this for weeks, not just because you didn't win the primary, but because I'd made that prophecy. And I told him, I said, you need to be very careful about saying things like that. You do not presume to speak for God unless you know for a fact God has spoken. It is a scary thing to speak for God. 
So I thought this was important that we throw this in because when you're talking about divination and diviners and people trying to read the tea leaves with dreams and visions and all, God's going to do this. And, and I'll bet you you've experienced that. If you've been around very many people who are not necessarily in what I would call orthodox, well, I'm going to be careful here, um, fundamental churches, You've probably encountered folks that are always getting dreams and visions and they know what God's saying and all this kind of stuff. And then whenever he doesn't do it, typically they just go silent on it and then they get a new prophecy and they're, they're all about that. What a terrible roller coaster ride that must be for those people. Let me tell you, if God speaks, it's going to happen. And if someone presumes to speak for God, they better make sure they've heard from God. And even though God may not deal with this now, I think there are going to be a lot of Christians who are going to have a lot of confession to do when they stand before God and they presumed to speak for God when God had not spoken. Boy, God, God does not take very kindly to that. Nor do we. Do you want people speaking for you and putting words into your mouth that you didn't say or wouldn't say? Have you ever had someone do that to you? I have. As, as a slightly public figure, I've had people speak for me and say that I said things that I've never even said. Not only have I not said those things, I don't even believe them. There's a guy right now in Indiana claiming that I am a white supremacist nationalist who teaches that if you're born in America and you're patriotic, you're saved and going to heaven. I mean, other than the fact that I teach the exact opposite, that's pretty close. <laughs> Good grief. Well, I don't like people putting words in my mouth, especially things I haven't or wouldn't say. Now, how much more does a holy God not want us speaking on his behalf? That's why I'm always careful to say, and if you've ever been around me very much and we're talking about this, I always say, it appears to me that God may be doing this. It appears to me that God may be trying to say this, but I'm going to reserve judgment until we see if God's really doing that. I, I am constantly, you can ask my wife, I am constantly second-guessing it, but I mean in a spiritual kind of way, second-guessing what I'm doing, quote, for God, because my greatest concern, other than that I'm saved, obviously, my greatest concern is that I would be about stuff that was my stuff, my tangent, but it wasn't God's. Boy, that's a great concern to me. That's why I've always, I've always struggled with that. All right, so that's the first category. Let's see if we can kind of begin to dig into category number two, and that would be magic. Now, by the way, so you'll know before we get into this, there will be one more lesson, and what I mean by one more lesson is I don't mean that we'll do one more lesson to finish this outline. I'm going to teach one more lesson on this, and it's going to be on deliverance. What does the Bible say about being delivered from the powers of darkness? I think we need to cover that. So that will be one last lesson in this series. Now let's go to the second category of the occult. That's magic. Now here we're not talking about illusionists. Okay, we're not, we're not talking about some of these magicians that you see in Las Vegas that simply use sleight of hand and trickery to make you think that they've done something. Now I will tell you that some of them historically have dabbled in the dark arts. 
But I'm not saying that it's a sin if you learn a card trick. Or you learn how to do the, you know, the, the, the three cups in the shell game and all that. that. That's not the magic we're talking about here. So what is magic? Well, it is the, it is the art of sorcery and magic. But we're talking about the kind of magic mentioned in Scripture. Performed in collaboration with the powers of darkness. So we're not talking, and I don't know, it's always intriguing to me to see what's behind the scenes on anything. There used to be a show on television, probably 10 years ago or so, where this guy would wear a mask so he couldn't be identified, and he would show the secrets of illusionists or what we call magicians. Did any of you ever see, see that show? It was really intriguing for me to see how they pulled off this stuff because it was typically just sleight of hand or mechanics or whatever. But it was really interesting to see how they devised these, you know, how to cut somebody in half and it really appears as though they've cut them in half. How do they really do that? How do they cause these things to disappear and all that? We know they're not doing that. And yet the Bible does teach that there is a real kind of dark magic. So what, to, what are the, the different categories of magic? Well, one that we would call impersonal magic. Now, what is that? Well, that's where someone seeks superstitiously, that means spiritism, to control natural law or events by incantation, spells, amulets, charms, without directly seeking the aid of demons. So they've just gotten mixed up into this art of magic, and they're practicing potions and spells, but they don't intend to be communing with demons. It's kind of like the first category of divination. Now, even though they don't intend it, they're messing with demon stuff. They just don't know it. And then, of course, the second would be personal magic. That's calling upon uh, real personal agents in the spirit world to accomplish the supernatural effect desired. So these are people that are talking to demons, and demons work magic. My wife and I, when we were just, just early married, going around preaching at different churches, and we encountered this, this young woman named Christine who came, it was either Christine or Christina. Anyway, she, she came up to me one night after I'd preached this little church, and she said, well, my God's a lot stronger than your God. And I said, do tell. <laughs> what, uh, what makes you think that? And she said, well, she said, uh, people that mistreat me at work, I can cause bad things to happen to them. And if I want their job, I've gotten it. And I said, and you think that's big? I said, well, my God spoke this entire universe into existence out of nothing. How about that, for starters? Turns out she was a witch. And she was using magic, i.e. demonic power, to persecute people that were saying things about her, doing bad things to her, or to get their jobs. And I didn't doubt for a minute that she was telling the truth. Now, she may have been pulling my leg, but I don't think so. I think this is exactly what can be done. And I think it happens where people who really get into demonic magic have certain spiritual powers. You'll find this in Scripture. You'll find people who have demonic power. Now, what what areas of the occult would magic include? Well... It would include things like healing and afflicting of diseases. By the way, notice healing. Healing. 
Especially if an illness is caused by demonic power to begin with, it'd be very easy if you're into demons to have that demon to cooperate with you and release that person that they've inflicted this disease upon in order to make you look more reputable. Even though you're a witch just like witch hazel. (laughs) So healing, inflicting diseases. Love and hate magic, or what we call potions. Curses. Fertility charms, persecution and defense magic. This is some of the stuff that Christina was claiming she was using. Banning and loosing and death magic. Now, I don't know all there is to know about all of that. And to be honest with you, I don't really want to know all there is to know about all that. Except to tell you that the Bible is pretty straightforward about the reality of this. For instance... In Exodus chapters 7 through chapter 11, you find two magicians in Egypt that give Moses and Aaron a run for their money at the first. They're identified as Janes and Jambres. And even though they could not replicate all of the plagues, which by the way, the plagues were miracles. Those plagues were miracles. They're supernatural. They were able to replicate some of the first ones. Now, some argue, and I'm, I'm certainly going to give them uh, their, their uh, right to their opinion, that really they weren't accomplishing that. They were using sleight of hand. Well, maybe so. Maybe they were just illusionists. But the Bible seems to say that they were the real deal. Because when you go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, Paul says, Now, as Janes and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these, meaning false teachers and prophets, Also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith. Now that verse does not prove that Jannies and Jambres were actually working the magic that they appeared to. But I think they did. Now if they didn't, that's okay. My faith is not shattered at all. But I do believe that these guys were so demonized that they were able there for a little bit to cause a real problem for Moses. Of course, they were no match for God, and, and God, of course, showed them to be who they were and set it all straight. In Daniel chapter 1, you find that in Babylon, the Chaldeans, which was more than just an ethnicity, it was a religion, uh, were, were into this. It says, in, in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better, now that's Daniel and his friends, than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. So the Chaldeans have these magicians. Now sometimes they were just fakes, you know, being able to interpret dreams. As long as they knew what the dream was, they'd make up something. But remember, Nebuchadnezzar calls them in and says, well, I want you to interpret this dream. They said, well, tell us what it is. He said, oh, no, 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 no. If you have the kind of power you claim to have, I want you to tell me what the dream is. Then you can tell me the interpretation. Well, of course, now they're dumbstruck and they can't do that. But Daniel says, would you give us a shot? And then he said, because there is a God in heaven. And he ain't practicing magic. And of course, Daniel, God reveals, is he and his friends fast and they pray. God reveals not only the dream but the meaning of the dream. In Daniel chapter 2, you have this passage, and the king gave the command to all the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans, to tell the king his dreams. And of course, then Daniel says, give us a shot. 
So God knows. Uh, but the demons are real. And Janies and Jambres were the real thing. Well, we're, we're almost through with this second category. I, I hope that I'm not dragging my feet too much. I hope this is not just filler. I, I hope uh, you're enjoying it. And uh, I just think it's so important that we understand these things because they are real. Uh, we ought, need, ought not fo- fixate on it. And don't worry about somebody like Christina putting a curse on you. If you're covered by the blood of Jesus and you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, which if you're covered by the blood, you're sealed, and you're walking in obedience, it's like water on a duck's back. Uh, the only way they can get to you is to go through God, and you're safe. Anytime they've got to go through God to get to you, you're safe. Whatever God does in your life, it's the right thing. So don't, don't worry about all this. But I think it's important that we understand it, because I think we're living in a time where there's a whole lot of demonic activity, and I think they're hovering over Washington, D.C. right now like crazy, and, and I think Nancy Pelosi's the head witch. And uh, I'm, I'm serious with you. I, I, I really do. Now, she may not practice witchcraft specifically, but I think she is about as demonic as they come. And she is bent on evil and stopping anything that's good. She is an evil, evil woman. She is a modern-day Jezebel. And uh, God will deal with her in time. It, it, it will come. But she's, she's very evil. She's not the only one. But we're living at a time where this is real, and we're watching it right in front of us. So I think it's important that we understand the biblical perspective. Hold on to your outline. We'll pick up there next week, okay? God bless you. Yes? Oh, yeah, that's right. Pam is reminding me. You know, later on, we had a little bit of input into Christina's life. She came to Christ later. Yeah, so she was saved and delivered from witchcraft. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Pam, for reminding me of that. Okay, God bless you guys. You're dismissed. We'll have service here in about 13 minutes.